We're going to be looking this morning, uh, continuing our study on joy, and uh, you can start by opening to James chapter 1, verse 2. Uh, we're going to look in James and John and Galatians this morning. Obviously a few other places, but those will be our main scripture texts for this morning. James chapter 1, verse 2. I said last week, James is one of my favorite books. Uh, they're all really my favorite books. I think you kind of end up saying that all the time. <laughs> you know, this is one of my favorite books. It's one of my favorite scriptures. But if you have a word from God, like if God is talking to you, and the word of God is God speaking to us, if you have a word from God and you realize this is God speaking to me, how can that not be your favorite? I mean, it's amazing that he who holds the whole world in the palm of his hand, and actually we learn that he measures the span of the universe by the span of his hand, that he cares about you and he cares about me. And he doesn't know just how many hairs are on your head. He actually has every hair numbered. Every hair has a number that's on your head. So... Um, you know, when you look at the galaxy, you know, God spoke, said, let there be light. And when he did, the universe started to be created and started expanding and expanding. And it's still expanding at the speed of light. So God's creative words are so powerful. And when he speaks to us, when we realize he's speaking to us, we can latch hold, grab hold, and it'll change our life. But what's more important than that, I think, is it'll change the world. So it'll change other people's lives. And, um, you know, the study we started out with in the summer was about um, the Christ life, the miracle life, a life that's beyond natural. Uh, you know, talk so much about Jesus being our model and our example and our inspiration and how we respond to what he said. But it's so true. Jesus came to show us the Father. He came to show us what God is like. Not so that we could just be in awe and amazed, but so that we could let God live through us and show the world what Jesus is like and what God is like. So uh, I like the book of James because, um, you know, it talks about your tongue. And you can steer the whole course of your life, what's going to happen or not happen to you, the good or the bad, by what you say, by the words of your mouth. Because we're made in the likeness and the image of God. And so much in his likeness, we're actually as much like God as God himself has the ability to make us powerful. So we're made in his likeness and in his image. And um, it's for us as we're born again, once we're born again, to find out who we are and what we have. When we find out who we are and what we have, we can take advantage of it and we can make a difference. Um, so anyhow, when I like a little extra admonishment, I'll just say, you know what, I want to read the book of James. <laughs> I say, okay. Because, uh, you know, if you're perfect in what you say, you know, you'd almost be perfect in everything. But uh, all of us need a little extra, you know, slack pulled out sometimes based on what we're saying or what we're thinking. So I like to read the book of James. But we're not going to talk so much about your tongue this morning. We're talking about joy. So last week we talked about uh, verse 2. In the King James it says, uh, James 1, 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be uh, perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Now, if you've been here any length of time, you know I really uh, enjoy William Barclay's translation. So I'm going to read that in uh, verse 2 in William Barclay's translation. My brothers, you must regard it as nothing but joy when you're involved in all kinds of trials. 
For you must realize that when faith has passed through the ordeal of testing, the result is the ability to pass the breaking point and not to break. I love that. It's, the result is the ability to pass the breaking point and not to break. But you know, we can't do that in ourselves. And that's when you see people break. That's when you see people get burnt out. That's when you see people have a nervous breakdown. And that's when you or I, because I've been there, where you're like, you're trying to shoulder all this stuff yourself. And all of a sudden, you just like, you kind of break down and you're like, I can't take this anymore. Well, you're not designed to take it. Jesus actually set it up so that he could take it off of you and, and you wouldn't have to have it. So we talked about one of my favorite uh, words in the Greek is hupomone. And I don't even know if I say it right because I don't know Greek. But I read William Barclay, like I said. So hupomone, I want to give you that definition again, and then we're going to uh, build on what we started last week. So hupomone says it's not easy to capture. And hupomone here in James chapter 1, uh, you know, is patience or endurance. Depending on your translation, it can be translated, translated in many different ways. And that endurance means it's not easy to capture the richness of the depth of this expression in one word, he says. Um, it does not describe the frame of mind which can sit down with folded arms and bowed head and let a torrent of trouble sweep over, uh, over it in passive, passive resignation. It describes the ability to bear things in such a triumphant way uh, that it transfigures them. So it's not just like I'm sitting down, uh, I'm going to endure it, like, uh, you know, I've got this most boring class in college and I've just got to endure. Yeah. Or, you know, maybe my wife is talking to me and helping me to improve in areas of my life and I just have to endure it. I'm like, is this over yet? Like, is this going to be done? Or, you know, I went to, it was in the military in basic training when the, you know, drill instructor is just like really drilling you. And, uh, you know, you're kind of enduring, like, is this over? Is this over? Uh, that's not what we're talking about. That's not what Paul's talking about. That's not what the Holy Spirit wants to, to see when he's talking about enduring. It describes the ability to bear things in such a triumphant way that it transfigures them so that these things don't actually change you, but you change these things. Um, uh, one guy uh, that he refers to said, it's a fruit that never withers, a fortress that's never taken, a harbor that knows no storms, a foundation of right actions. It's peace in war, calm in tempest, security in plots. So this is a lot more than just, I'm going to get through this. I can't wait till this is over. I'm going to get through this. It's the courageous and triumphant ability to pass the breaking point and not to break and always greet the unseen with a cheer. It's the process which changes the very nature of tribulation into strength and glory. So this is why James is saying, you know, the testing of your faith, count it all joy. Because realize what's happening when you're being tested, when your uh, faith is being tested. What's happening is you're being strengthened and strengthened. And so what I think of is I think of like an athlete that's training for a race. Uh, a couple years ago, I think it was about two years ago, my wife and I did a marathon together. Well, I shouldn't say together. I did a marathon and she came a little bit afterwards in the same marathon. <laughs> I just pick on her because that was her second marathon. And when I was dating her in college, um, she, we ran together when we were dating, like together. Like I'd kind of go and she was with me. And that was the last time we really ever had about the same pace because I think I wasn't in that good of shape and she had just ran a marathon the year before. So um, I like to tease her about that. 
But when you're training for the marathon, you know, you can go online, there's all these different marathon training routines that you can find. And so uh, a good friend of ours, uh, Becca from Michigan, I think she recommended a training uh, routine for us. And so we went and found this training routine and we started uh, going about it. So you just start building up and building up and building up. Well, you know, on race day, I could handle the race. But on training day number 10 or training week number four, I couldn't handle a 26-mile race. I couldn't handle it. Why? Because I didn't have muscles added to me. So as I trained and trained and trained through the sleet and the snow, literally, and um, when I didn't have time, right, because it takes a lot of time to train for a marathon because you're going to go run 10 miles. It's going to take you a couple hours, and, you know, you're going to run 12 miles, 15 miles. It, It takes some time. But your muscles actually, in the process, what happens is your muscles start to break down. And if you break them down too much or too far, your recovery time is too much. But if you break them down just the right amount, they'll break down and they give you space to build upon. And so then you'll build upon and build upon. So the testing of our faith is is like that. It's like an athlete training. So you're approaching these circumstances that are way too much for the natural man, for like your own ability. If you look to yourself, if I look to myself, you're overwhelmed and you're saying, I can't do that. I can't do that. Like, you know, I can give a real life example. Like I've been putting a HD television system in, in a church in Michigan. So I've been working 70 to hundred hours a week there plus working at the church here. And so I'm like, I'm like, I uh, feel like I'm just going to like, was it Pastor Mark talks about, you know, I fall to pieces. There's that song, you know, <laughs> and he says, you know, he was singing that one day in the the uh, Spirit of God said to him, you know, you really shouldn't be singing that. You know, I fall to pieces. So he said, okay, I don't fall to pieces. <laughs> so anyhow, you feel like that because you're like at the end, you know, like I can't do anymore. There's as, as much as I can do. But what is awesome uh, is in the midst of all of this in my own life, I can feel naturally I've passed that point. Like I can't take it anymore. But the grace of God is so there that uh, that scripture, uh, how Barclay even translates it, just kept rolling around him, rolled around in me, like past the breaking point and not break. And, um, you know, it's because I'm so cool. No, it's because I'm tapping into God, right? When I tried to do it myself, I would break. I would not be able to do it. I would fly off the handle. I would be impatient. And you can ask my wife, because I've, I've asked her, because, you know, it's a lot going on and it's just a season, you know, but I said, how am I doing because, uh, you know, like Dad Hagen says, you know, you can see everybody else's faults. That's why you point them out. You just can't see your own, mm-hmm. right? So a lot of times we, we want to say like, oh, look at you, yeah. uh, not knowing that uh, we have something, you know, ourselves, you know, something on our, hey, I got something on your nose. You don't, I'm just messing with you. But, you know, then you have something on your own nose and, you know, you find out you're like, oh, that was embarrassing. And, um, but you can't really see clearly for yourself. So that's why you want to go to the Lord or people that you trust. So I asked my wife, like, how am I doing? Like, you know, I know there's a lot going on. And she's like, it's amazing. You're doing, like, better than before. But I started tapping into this hoopamon, you know, this grace, this power from God that allows you to pass the breaking point. And not only that, it allows you to take really what the devil means for evil, what circumstances would try to clamp you down and crunch you down and destroy you, and turns it to glory, turns it to triumph, and says, you know what? I'm not going to be dominated by these things or 
uh, these words that someone said to me or these words that someone said over me or someone said about me, I'm going to take those and I'm going to turn them. I'm going to turn them. And really, you know, in Corinthians, we learn that um, there's something called the spirit of faith. David had the spirit of faith. Jesus had the spirit of faith. Paul had the spirit of faith. If you're born again, you actually have the same spirit of faith. We believe and therefore we speak. Spirit of faith, you know, you can't really just do a study and say like it's A, B, C, D. It's really an attitude of trusting God, an attitude of believing God that no matter what happens, I don't care what comes my way, I'm standing. I'm not going to fall because of him. And I'm standing in him and in his strength. So that's what we talked about last week, that you count it all joy when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith uh, works patience, you know, and as we, go th- as we went through, we learned that, um, you know, let patience have its perfect work, that you may be complete and entire, wanting nothing. That just means that you can, like, not make no mistakes. Uh, perfect there means that you're mature, that you're experienced. So we ran, she's ran two marathons, I ran one marathon. We are not marathon experts. But there are people that are marathon experts, like, this is my 25th marathon. This is my, that, you know, I just read in the news this week, some guy, uh, for a charity purpose, he ran 200 miles. Well, don't come to me and ask me to run 200 miles, <laughs> even for Jesus. <laughs> um, but uh, you become mature. So we talked about, like, an expert in their field. Um, uh, I also read this week about a military doctor. And he had joined the military, I think he was in the military for 16 years as a naval physician, and then um, he uh, got out of the military and then was a um, uh, doctor uh, in the real world, as we would call it from the military, <laughs> in the secular world. Uh, and then after 9-11 happened, he really wanted to join back up. So uh, at 58 years old, I think he joined back up. Uh, in the reserves, uh, got a commission in the reserves, and was over in Afghanistan uh, working on people, helping people. And um, then he liked it so much that he got to go active duty. So now he's back active duty. He's actually stationed here at Walter Reed. And, um, but he was and is an expert surgeon in his field. And he wanted to take those skills and use them to help our, our military members and families. Well, you know, uh, if you asked me to do that, you really wouldn't want me to operate on you at all, right? Because I'm not a surgeon, and actually, I don't like the sight of blood. <laughs> um, so it wouldn't be good for me to be a surgeon. Uh, but he's a surgeon. He's an expert in his career field. And then, uh, you know, we talked last week about, you know, my wife and I travel with uh, Brother Hagen, who's going on to be with the Lord. But he ministered uh, for 16, I think it was 69 years and three months or something like that. And a lot of people want to... Uh, Sometimes uh, us young people, and I'm getting to be middle-aged now. <laughs> but sometimes when you're younger, you feel like you know more than everybody else. So people are like, you know, uh, I know more than Brother Hagen, and I know more than Billy Graham, and I know more, you know. And um, they kind of get self-focused, really. But I like to find somebody that's an expert in their field. Somebody that's, you know, like I said, Dad Hagen had been in ministry for over 69 years and never committed adultery, never stole money. Like, you learn real quickly. You look at ministers and ministries, and um, one of the biggest things, you know, people know uh, Brother Hagen a lot for. He's a teacher of faith. Uh, but he was really, yes, he was a teacher of faith. The Lord told him, go teach my people faith. But he really taught you how to walk in love. 
and he excelled in walking in love. He excelled in walking in faith, too, but really faith and love go together. And I remember a student that went to Ramah. Uh, he went to Ramah, came back, and his pastor was kind of like bracing for it, you know, because sometimes people go to Bible school, and they come back, and they know everything. And you can't tell them anything. And, uh, you know, uh, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. So a lot of times you can take something, someone else's revelation, someone else's amazing thing they got from God, and you get it in your head, and all of a sudden you're like, I know this, you know, nobody else knows this, and you don't know what I know, and, you know, that's not really not the intent of how we're to receive it. We're to receive it in our heart and in a burst in love. So this, this pastor was expecting this young man to kind of uh, tell him what he knows, and he said, so what did you learn when you went to Ramah? And he said, you know, I learned how to walk in love, and it totally turned that pastor and, you know, I'm telling you the good story. There's, there's other stories the other way where people do go back and say, like, yeah, I know everything, you know, let me teach you. Um, but uh, you become uh, a master in it. So that's becoming perfect, becoming mature, experience. Like, this is someone you can trust. So uh, uh, you become entire, wanting nothing. So that every area of your life, you've learned how to trust God, learn how to cast your cares on the Lord so that the peace of God can come in and take care of the situation. Uh, when we hold on to things, we're really holding on to it. That's a profound statement. <laughs> when I'm holding on to this, I shouldn't use that because it's like the word, but when I'm holding on to this, I'm holding on to it. If I cast it, give it to the Lord, I'm not holding it anymore. So I don't have this. He has it. Right? So I may still be in the exact same circumstance. I see the same wind blowing. I feel the same... Uh, uh, rain beating down on my back, but I'm not worried about it because I know he's got my back. You know, I say, Lord, you know, like us coming out here to plant a church, they call you, if you do some church planting studies, they call us parachute planters. That means we didn't live here. We just flew over and dropped in. <laughs> so uh, some people, you know, get to plant in their hometown or someplace where they uh, know a bunch of people. And, um, you know, we were out here in the, I was out here in the mid-90s, rather, my wife wasn't. Uh, but other than that, we're kind of like parachute planters. So the Lord just dropped us in here, and uh, we, we enjoy trusting him. So you know the story in um, Acts chapter 16, verse 25. Uh, you can turn there if you'd like to. But Paul and Silas are in prison. And, uh, you know, they've been locked up. Their hands are in stocks. Their feet are in stocks. Their back's <laughs> bleeding. They've been whipped and, um, you know, the Bible says at midnight they prayed and sang praises to God. A lot of times what we do um, in our lives is it'll be midnight in our lives, like the darkest hour, the middle of the night. It looks like, man, it can't get any worse than this. And we'll stop and we'll pray. We'll say, Lord, help. You know, like uh, Peter said, Lord, save me when he started to sink. And, uh, but the Bible says that they prayed and. What else did they do? They prayed and they sang praises. Well, praise is an expression of joy. Uh, and I want to talk to you about the supernatural power of joy. There's, joy is actually a force. You could say the force of joy. And, um, you know, my wife texted me this week. She's... Uh, uh, I don't know what she was doing. You're listening to somebody on the radio or something like that. And um, 
she said, she just texted me the words, joy, a force to be reckoned with. And I said, oh, can I use that for the title of the sermon? I like that. Joy, a force to be reckoned with. And you think, like, they got these T-shirts, like, I'm a force to be reckoned with. <laughs> like, you better look out. And, you know, and they talk about uh, a U.S. Navy uh, aircraft carrier. They call it a force to be reckoned with. Because there's so much firepower on those things, and those things can run forever on the nuclear power they have, and it's like its own city. I think there's like 5,000 people that live on these uh, ships, and um, they have stores there where you can buy stuff. You know, they feed you there. You can be out to sea for, um, you know, basically till you run out of food uh, because you're going to have enough fuel. But it's a force to be reckoned with. If you're a country that's kind of acting up, and we park our Um, aircraft carrier off your shore, you might want to consider your actions. I mean, there's F-18 Hornets on there, and and they have nuclear weapons that they can attach to those F-18 Hornets that are on the ship, and uh, there's a lot there. So it's a force to be reckoned with. So it's, you know, if you say you're a force to be reckoned with, or the Navy's a force to be reckoned with, you know, and uh, if you're in the Navy or you know somebody in the Navy, uh, I'll give you credit, but I was in the Air Force. So we're also forced to be reckoned with. Uh, But joy is not just like a feeling of happiness. You may have happiness and you may not have happiness. That doesn't uh, mean a thing when we're talking about joy. Remember the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Well, joy comes from the Spirit of God. And you get joy when you're born again, just like you get faith, just like you get love. So, you know, maybe because, you know, of traveling with Brother Hagin, I think of, I relate a lot of things to love because he talked about love. But, you know, you can have the love of God inside of you. And if you're born again, you do have the love of God inside of you, actually uh, in abundance, uh, and not do anything about it. That doesn't mean you have to use it. In other words, I can talk really short to my wife and be very rude to my wife and treat her badly, and still have the love of God inside of me. That doesn't mean that I need to pray and ask God, give me love, because he already gave me love. He recreated me in love. And uh, it means I need to tap into what's inside of me. So I've got this love that never fails. So if I have my, a relationship problem, if I have a problem with my relationship with my wife, if I walk in love, that love will never fail. It'll never fade out. I was actually uh, ministering to a couple this week that were going through uh, some uh, challenges in their marriage, and uh, I married them four years ago, and, um, you know, I got a text when I'm on the plane on the way back to Grand Rapids that said, you know, hey, how you doing? Uh, Do you have time to talk? And I never, I never talk to these guys at all. Like, uh, when I see them, you know, I'll say hi and stuff like that. And so it was great that it worked out that I was in town and we were able to meet. And so, um, but you know, one of the greatest things that, that they are doing to improve their marriage now is just loving each other and walking in love and, uh, you know, putting the other person first. And uh, that's sometimes real easy to forget to do. We get self-centered, like, I need this, I need that. But walking in love will change you. So joy is a force, and it's a force that comes from God, and it's a force that's on the inside of us. The joy of the Lord is our what? Strength. Strength. Uh, That's found in uh, the book of Nehemiah. The joy of the Lord is our strength. So if we want to tap into the strength of God, we need to tap into the joy of God. 
Uh, one of my favorite prayers, I think we mentioned it last week, was uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And, um, you know, let's turn there real quick. Talking about um, desiring that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Uh, verse 9 through 11. For this cause, Paul said, praying for the church and uh, the people in Colossae, we also, since the day we heard of it, don't cease to pray for you and desire that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord and all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power and all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father who has made us able to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. So we can be strengthened with joy on the inside. It's one of the, one of the biggest prayers. I think one of the greatest things that we all need is to be strengthened. You look at the prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, it talks that you may be strengthened in your inner man. Over here in Colossians, that you're strengthened with all joy on the inside. And so when we're strengthened with joy, we're really able to overcome and uh, rise above the things that the devil would bring against us and the things that um, even our own thoughts and our own words would cause to come to pass in our life. Because, uh, you know, a lot of times or sometimes we'll say stuff that we shouldn't say, we know we shouldn't say, and it puts us in a position where we're like, oh, you know, I, you know, I don't like this. It actually changes the whole atmosphere. And um, joy, is, joy is like love. It's a decision. Because you have the joy to tap into. Um, and many times we choose not to walk in love, but we'll choose not to be joyful. Like, you ever get up? I've gotten up in the morning. And actually, I'm just like, I know it's my flesh, but I'm like, I do not want to be joyful today. Like, this is not going to be a good day. And what happens when I do that? It is not a good day. And I can take that and change that. Uh, somebody said, you can get happy in the same pants you got mad in. So you change it. And, you know, I like, to, I like to set the atmosphere at the beginning of the day and say, it's going to be a great day. I'm working with my kids on this one, you know. <laughs> what kind of day is this going to be? Uh, you know, I sat down, I think I told you last week, sat down with them, told them, like, how to set their day up. I said, what are we going to do today? Okay. And what's our attitude going to be like? And what are we going to experience? Because as soon as I get them saying that, believing that, it's going to come to pass. Now, they're kids, so they're not perfect. And I'm an adult, so I'm not perfect. <laughs> but that's the trajectory. That's the course I want them on. That's the course I want myself on. Uh, because I know if I get out of joy, then everything else kind of gets out of sorts. Because you can say, like, you know, I had something, uh, I got some news this week that was not, like, would not make you want to just shout. Like, woo, <laughs> that's great. And I noticed as soon as I got that news, uh, I told my wife about it shortly after, and then, um, you know, she was a little disappointed when I told her, but I thought, you know, no, I'm, I'm looking to God. The Lord, the Lord uh, always takes care of us. The Lord is good to us. And, uh, but I tell you what, all of a sudden, it's like I put on glasses with something in them, and now everything I saw had this taint to them. Say it's like tinted glasses, and everything's blue. Everything's blue. So you're like down about everything and what are you going to do about this? And, oh, that's not going to work out. And, you know, I'm not saying these things, but the thoughts are there that I could grab hold of so easily, right? So I'm sitting there thinking, you know, you know, 
why they, why they want to treat me that way, why they want to do that, you know. But I'm like, no, I'm not going to deal with it. I'm going to look to God. Because no matter how good someone will treat you, the Lord will always treat you better. No matter how much someone, like, believes in you or trusts you, uh, if you're human, you're flawed. You're not perfect. You're going to mess up. So even as much as I love my wife and my wife loves me, we mess up with each other. And, you know, we don't always believe in each other 100% of the time, even though that's what we, we want to do, you know. But, you know, we're not, like, perfect. But God is perfect. So I always uh, like to look to the Lord. So then what happens is your whole view gets tainted, and you get out of joy. And when you're out of joy, uh, everything kind of turns bad. I remember uh, Pastor Dwayne in Michigan would tell a story about, you know, the guy with Lindberger cheese on his mustache. And uh, he got some Limburger cheese there, and he's like, this room stinks. So he goes, like, to the living room, walks in the living room, and he's like, this room stinks. He's like, this whole house stinks. So he's like, man, I'm going to go outside and get some fresh air. So he opens the door, goes outside, and he said, man, the whole world stinks. Well, it was right there on him. So that was, you know, that was his perspective. He had something on him that really shouldn't have been there. And so when we don't tap into the joy of God, uh, there's stuff there that shouldn't be there. And there's stuff in us that should be there in front of us that's not. Well, the joy of the Lord is our strength. So when we tap into the joy of the Lord, there is strength there for every situation. And, um, you know, I was uh, talking with some people uh, maybe a couple months ago about some challenges, difficulties that they were having. And, you know, I mentioned to them, you know, well, I've had times where, you know, you just feel like everything is dark and what's going to happen? What's going on? Like, how do you get through them? Well, um, you know, one of the things the Bible says when you've done all to stand, you stand. So, but it doesn't say just stand and say nothing, right? Because you've got this patience that's been developing, this endurance that you're like, nope, I'm up to the task. This is adding to me. This is not taken from me. This is adding to me. This is making me uh, mature. This is bringing me to the place where I need to be to do what God has called me to do. And so uh, in the midst of that, when the day seems dark and everything comes, you begin to start to thank God and to praise God. Not because the day seems dark, not because bad things are happening, but because you know that if you don't, you're not going to tap into his joy and into his strength. But if you do, there is strength on the inside of you and inside of me that's available for us to grab hold of and turn that situation, transfigure it, and say, you know what? Uh uh, uh uh, you're not getting me with this. I'm not succumbing to that. I'm not sinking to your level. I'm not, you know, I'm not yielding to that. And so you start to say, you know, uh, however you praise the Lord, you might say, Praise God or glory to God. The Bible actually says in, in the Psalms that let everyone in his temple say glory. And glory, you know, it's not a study in glory, but glory contains everything that God contains. The glory of God has the answer to every situation in your life and my life, whether it's emotional, whether it's mental, whether it's financial, whether it's physical. Uh, the glory of God, when the glory of God comes in contact with your situation, the glory of God will dominate and will obliterate anything else that's there. So when we start to praise God, uh, what does the psalm say? Like you enter into his presence with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. 
that as we lift our voice, as we're joyful before the Lord, those are all dancing, singing, praising, are all expressions of joy. As we enter into that joy, the strength of God that's in us starts to rise up. And we start to, instead of being bent over, we start to stand up straighter and straighter and straighter. So in some of the darkest days of my life, at midnight in my life, um, I begin to praise the Lord. Now, I didn't do it like right away. Like I said, you're not looking at a perfect man. Uh, but I got a hold of myself and said, whoa, what's going on? And so, I, so uh, you know, in, in, uh, in uh, the midst of a great battle, in the midst of tears, I started to say, praise the Lord. I didn't feel like saying that. I didn't feel like, oh, I'm so inspired to say this. I want to say this. I said, thank you, Lord. You know, and, I, and then I started just talking to the Lord in the midst of my praise. And I said, I know no matter how this feels, that you're on my side, that you've got my back, that you're the one that's got to make this happen. You're the one that's got to bring me through because I can't do it. And you know what? There is a, I could just speak for myself. There is such a comforting feeling in coming to the end of yourself where you're actually, you know what? I have no choice but to rely upon God because I can't do this. I can't make it. So everything now, Lord, it's all on you. If you fail me, I'm going down. But I know you well enough to know that you're not going to fail me and to know that when I'm going through some of these things, um, uh, it can strengthen me. And I might not understand everything I'm going through, but I don't focus on what I don't understand. I focus on you, and I focus on your ability. So um, let's look in John chapter 16, uh, verse 22. Actually, I'm going to read John chapter 16, verse 16 through 24, um, William Barclay's study Bible translation. John 16, verse 16 through 24. In a little while you will not see me anymore. And again, in a little while, you will see me. This is Jesus speaking. Some of his disciples said to each other, what's the meaning of this that he's saying to us? In a little while, you're going to not see me. And again, in a little while, you will see me. And what does he mean when he says, I'm going to the Father? What does he mean when he talks about a little? We don't know what he means. Jesus knew that they wished to ask him their questions. And he said to them, are you discussing among yourselves what I meant when I said, in a little while, you will not see me again. In a little while, you will see me. This is a truth I tell you. You will weep, you will lament, but the world will rejoice. You'll be grieved, but your grief will be turned into joy. When a woman bears a child, she has grief because her hour has come. But when the child is born, she does not remember her pain because of her joy that a man is born into the world. So you too, for the present, have grief. But I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will not have have to ask any questions of me. This is the truth I tell you. The Father will give you in my name whatever you ask of him. Up till now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be complete. And the, the verse I want to focus in on there is a joy that no man can take from you. So Jesus is talking about, you know, what's going to happen to him. His, one of his main missions to come and to redeem us. And they're saying, you know, what are you talking about? We're going to be sad, you know, and then we're going to have a joy, a joy that no man can take away. Well, you know, in the world, you can have something called joy. I think it's more related to happiness, like we talked about. But when you're born again, you get a joy that no one can take away. So even looking at the life of Christ, he said, 
you're going to have sorrow. It's going to be sad for you. But when you see what happens, when I come back, you're going to get a joy. But he's saying you didn't, you're not getting a joy like a joy you had before. You're getting a new kind of joy. This is a joy that no man can take away. So what happens? What's, what is no man can take away? Well, man has to do with earthly things, uh, temporary things, things of, of uh, this earth that pass away. But when you, that's not the kind of joy that God gives us. It's not a joy like, okay, you just found out somebody gave you $100,000. That's kind of make you happy, especially if it's tax-free, right? That's good news. And, you know, you would say, probably watching someone's reaction, you'd be like, oh, they're joyful. They're full of joy. But if they get that and then they find out that they have an unexpected $100,000 debt, they just ate up everything, uh, their joy might like kind of disappear real quick. <laughs> like, oh, you know. Um, but Jesus said, I'm going to give you a joy that no man can take away. No thing in the earth, no temporary thing, no circumstance, no words that someone's saying can take this joy away. So he gives us a joy that's on the inside. The way that we, we tap into his joy as we begin to see, like, you remember it's Christmas time, uh, you know, Christmas is in like, I don't know, less than two weeks. And you think of the Prince of Peace and good tidings of great joy shall be unto all people. So uh, we think of that time, it's a joyful time because a Savior's born, uh, Christ is going to come, or we celebrate when he did come uh, in the form of a baby. But good tidings of great joy is like a joy that's out of this world has now come into the world. So Christ ushers in this joy. With him came this joy. You know, he said, it's better for you that I go away, right? In uh, John chapter 14, we, we didn't look there, but in, right before uh, preceding what he's saying in John chapter 16, he says, you know, because if I don't go, the Holy Spirit's not going to come. The comforter's not going to come. And, uh, you know, comforter there doesn't mean like a blanket. And comforter doesn't, there doesn't mean like... Oh, you know, as you're going through this, I'm right beside you. It's actually, it actually denotes a similar thing to endurance. That's saying, like, uh, the Holy Spirit's going to come and give you boldness and help you stand up straight and stand up tall and live life. And so Jesus came, and they said, great joy is coming. Great joy is coming. Joy that's out of this world. Um, and so with Christ comes that joy. So when we're praying in Colossians or in Ephesians for a spirit of wisdom and revelation, we're praying for strength in our inner man, we're actually praying that we would see who we are in Christ and what we have in Christ. And as we do that, as we begin to get a revelation of Jesus Christ, we begin to get a revelation of joy. So the way that you actually tap into this joy so that you can be like Paul and Silas at midnight, they prayed and sang praises unto God, is you get in the Word of God. Because in the Word of God, you begin to see who God is. Jesus' whole purpose was to reveal the Father. He said, I have come that you might see the Father, that you might reveal the Father. And we know that the joy of the Lord, God's joy, is our strength. And so as we begin to see the Father, we begin to see joy, and we begin to tap into joy. And um, as you tap into that joy, and you say, you know what, I don't care what's happening, I don't care what thoughts are coming, 
Praise the Lord. This is good. Something's good. Something good's going to happen to us. And um, I think of the story of the two well buckets that you've got like this well. There's two buckets with the rope. And, you know, you lower it down. One bucket goes down, gets the water, and then the other one comes up and vice versa. And uh, uh, one well bucket said to the other, you know, I don't understand you. You're always sad all the time. Why are you so sad? And the bucket said, well, because no matter how full I come up, I always go down empty. And that bucket said to the other bucket, well, well, I don't understand you. And he's like, what do you mean? He said, why are you so happy all the time? He said, well, I just look at it the other way. No matter how empty I go down, I always come up full. (laughs) And there's two buckets, the same exact experience of life. And one is happy all the time, and the other one's sad all the time. You know, half glass half full or half empty. And, you know, with us, it's a matter of our perspective. And we, we begin to see what God has done for us through the Word of God. And we begin to get understanding. You begin to have a joy that the world cannot take away that's actually in usable form. Right? Because we have that joy when you're born again. It's just maybe not in usable form. And we want to have it in usable form. We want a, a currency that we can spend. You know, I went to Italy in the military and I brought back uh, lots of lira, but I couldn't spend it here. You know, it's like play money. And when I go on mission trips, I bring money back to my kids and they just love it. You know, like, you know, oh, let's play with this, play with that. I'm like, oh, I want to turn that one in. <laughs> I want to swap that, you know, exchange that one. Uh, but joy is a currency that we can spend if we tap into it. And the way we tap into it is... is um, through revelation of the Word of God. You know, I remember, uh, man, I can't tell you how many times uh, I heard uh, Brother Hagin say, if you come expecting, you won't be disappointed. Like, almost every service. You know, you come expecting, you won't be disappointed. What's he talking about? He's talking about faith. You're expecting to receive from God. You're here this morning expecting to receive from God. You go into your prayer closet expecting to receive from God. In other words, you're praying in faith. You're acting in faith. You're believing God. You're saying, you know what? I didn't just show up to show up. I didn't just come to do a duty. I didn't just come uh, to check something off of my spiritual self-righteousness box. I came to see you, to experience you, to be part of what you're doing. And um, when you do that, you know, you get thrilled with the word. When you get thrilled with the word, it works for you. Because you have this joy and this strength that comes. And then no matter what happens, when you're in that atmosphere of joy, I mean, have you ever been so full of joy that like, I've had stuff like, uh, I can be in my flesh like a perfectionist, right? So if like something breaks, I'm not really thrilled that it's breaking. And then that may break something else because they're connected and stuff. But I've been in such an atmosphere of joy that like stuff is breaking and I'm just laughing. Not because I'm like happy that it's breaking, But I actually have a consciousness that that does not matter because God will get me another one or something better because I'm in that atmosphere of joy and I'm connected with his realm. And so in that atmosphere of joy, there really are no impossibilities. Everything's possible because an atmosphere of joy is actually where God dwells. Uh, The Bible says that God sits in the heavens and he laughs. And so if he can laugh at my situation, he probably knows something I don't know. And he maybe has a perspective that I don't have. He can see things I can't see. So as I tap into him and to his joy, 
I start to get little glimpses of his perspective, little glimpses of what he's doing, little glimpses of how he's going to turn this situation around. Uh, Because you can't stop bad things from happening to you, but you can stop your reaction to them. And you can stop them in your life and say, you know what, no further. That may have happened, but we're not going there. And the best way I know to do that is to tap into this force that really has to be reckoned with, which is joy. And say, you know what, I'm not focused on what's right in front of my face. I'm focused on actually where I'm seated in heavenly places with Christ. Seated at the right hand of God. And I'm not focused on the here and now. I'm focused on the eternal. Stand with me if you would. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you uh, that you have given us a joy that the world cannot take away. Father, I pray for each and every one of us that um, this morning as we go, this week, this month, Father, that we would tap into your joy that's within, uh, within the inside of us, Father, that your joy would rise up in situations where we would have been defeated, but your joy would rise up and we would give access through our words, through what we speak, Father, to your joy to dominate us so that we can have a currency of joy in our life. Father, I plead the blood of Jesus over every person that's here, those that are listening, Father, for your best in our lives. Father, we look forward to a great day and a great week and a great month and a great 2016 with you. Father, I pray for every person here, Father, that you would fill us, fill us with the knowledge of your will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so we can walk worthy of you, Father, that you'll give us strength that produces joy, Father, in our inner man. Father, that you'll uh, nudge each of us and prompt each of us and help each of us to live out of the life of your spirit that's inside of us, Father, that we'll give you access to use our bodies, to use our lips, to use our resources, to use our minds. Father, that we'll think your thoughts after you. I thank you for your spirit who uh, strengthens us, who reminds us of what Jesus said on the earth, who reminds us and illuminates your word to us. He is our teacher. He is our leader. He is our guide. Father, we give you glory. We give you praise, and we thank you for being good. In Jesus' name, amen.